Alrighty. Uh, Andrew Hudson, like I said, is going to be continuing our King series, so let's welcome Andrew. Great. Thanks, Michael. There's like an awkward handshake. Is he going to shake my hand? Is he not going to? What are we doing? Thumb? Fist bumping? What are we doing here? Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. You gotta give me a second here to adjust this. It's, a, um, it's great to be with you guys. Um, when I was a student at Ohio State, I had a, a two roommates that I, we pretty much lived together uh, the whole four or five years we were there. Some of us took a little bit longer to get through school, but, um, but my two roommates and I, our freshman year, the three of us, we met this woman, and her, she was a senior, I believe, when we were freshmen. Her name was Patty, Patty Cunningham. And, and um, I do not know how we really got connected with her or whatever, but for some reason, she totally took us under her wing. She mentored us. She kind of trained us in a lot of different things. She was a, one of those people that I can look back over those years and say she had a huge influence as a leader in my life. Um, she would... Uh, she really challenged me in our, in our faith. She challenged all of us in our faith. She challenged us to serve in ways that totally put us out of our comfort zone. She would sign us up for stuff and then expect us to show up. She would put us in charge of other people. She would like say, hey, you're going to do this. You're, we're going to do this community service thing, and you're going to have these six people that you're going to lead. And, and I just was blown away by how much time she invested in us. She was the first person ever to invite me to the vineyard which I often think back how that has drastically changed my life. Um, so about three months ago, I got a phone call that Patty had passed away suddenly. She was 37. She was 37. That phone call, it was one of my roommates who actually called me to tell me. And it was unexpected. Um, she had apparently been diagnosed with a kind of a rare autoimmune disorder that caused her to have stroke-like symptoms. And at first they were hoping she might recover, um, but then she took a turn for the worse. And I just was shocked, just shocked. Um, and, I, and I went to the funeral, it was down at Ohio State. See, Patty never left Ohio State. She went on to become a, get her doctorate and became a professor there and worked in the Department of Student Affairs and Social Justice. And, um, and what I, you know, she and I had lost touch over the years in a lot of ways, but um, at her funeral, I realized I and my roommates, we were definitely not the only people that she mentored. The room was filled with hundreds, maybe thousands of people that were telling story after story after story of how Patty invested in their lives and how um, she took them under her wing. And, um, and I believe that's because Patty, Patty lived, in this, lived her life believing that anybody could be a leader. She didn't care what your background was, what your skills were, what your knowledge was. She believed that God had a plan for you to lead in some capacity. You know, there's a temptation when we talk about leadership to, for, I think, for a lot of us to kind of check out. You know, 99% of us would say, that's not, that's not really me. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, the leader of some nation like these kings we've been learning about. I'm not the CEO of some Fortune 500 company. You know, Andrew, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I'm retired, Andrew. It's just me and my dog all day long. You know, or I, I work a job as a custodian and I spend most of my time by myself. You know, or I'm just, I'm just in high school still. We don't see ourselves as leaders. But I believe that in the kingdom of God that God has a place for us all to be leaders. We may not all be heads of nations someday or CEOs, but, but God has a plan for that. Uh, for, to use us in ways to lead people. Listen to what um, the Catholic writer and businessman Chris Lowney says about who is a leader. If you want to throw that first verse up, first part up there. He says this, everyone is a leader. Everyone is a leader. Everyone is leading all the time. Sometimes in immediate, dramatic, and obvious ways, but more often in subtle, hard-to-measure ways, but leading nonetheless. You know, if we had a conversation one-on-one, -on -one, you and me, and I told you about, you know, my friend Patty and how she was a leader in my life, you know, and I asked you, who were some valuable leaders in your life? I highly doubt you would mention some national political figure or some CEO of a major corporation. You would probably mention family members, parents, siblings, a coworker, 
You know, maybe a pastor, maybe, maybe somebody who was a teacher or coach who invested in your life. Real average people who chose to have intentional, relational, meaningful influence in your life. Like my friend, like my friend, like my friend Patty. Those are the kind of leaders that I believe God is calling us all to be. Everyday leaders in the kingdom of God. You know, we've been in this series studying the book of Kings, or studying different kings and looking at kings and chronicles uh, of, the, of Judah and the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. And as we've been looking at them, we've seen lots of kings that have really done a pretty terrible job. But today we're going to look at a king named Hezekiah. And he was one of the great leaders of, of their history. In fact, he ranks up there with King David as being one of the greatest. You know, some of the kings in the Old Testament are given maybe a paragraph about their accomplishments in life and what they've done. Hezekiah gets seven chapters. So we're going to be here a long time this morning. No. No. Nobody does. He gets seven chapters tell the story of his life in three and second Kings and four and second Chronicles. And there's no way that we can cover all of his story. So I would really challenge you and encourage you to, to I wrote, a, they're at the top of your outline, to take this week to study those chapters, to read them all the way through and, and really get a, a, the big picture and the overall picture of who Hezekiah was. Because like I said, there's no way we can cover it all. But let's pray and invite God and then we'll kind of dig into what I believe he has for us about Hezekiah today. So Lord, I just thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with us in worship. And Lord, this being Memorial Weekend, we want to just acknowledge, we just want to acknowledge the sacrifice of the men and women who gave their lives to serve our nation. Would you be with their families who undoubtedly this can be a challenging weekend for them? Would you be with veterans who lost, loved, loved, lost friends would you be present with them? And Lord, as we look at the life of Hezekiah today, I pray that you would impart his character into our lives. As we look at what it means to be an everyday leader, that our perspective might change. Because Lord, you don't look at leadership like the world looks at leadership. Would you shape us and transform us today, God? Amen. So if you want to open your Bibles or click on your Bible app, we're going to start off in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings, and we'll have the verses up here on the screen. We are going to be jumping around a little bit today between Kings and 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And so I apologize for that, but <coughs> excuse me, but his story is just so long and there's so much good stuff in it. But 2 Kings 18, we're going to start off at the very beginning, verse 1, verses 1 through 6. And I got a few names here I'm going to stumble through. In the, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Allah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as, as his father David had done. He removed the high places, he smashed the sacred stones, and he cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him, he kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. Let's stop right there for a second. So Hezekiah, he's 25 years old, and he becomes king of Judah, and he stood out as different than all the other kings. And in this kind of basic summary of his reign, we learn that he removed the idols and was actively faithful to God. And in verse 3, it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Wouldn't that be like the most wonderful thing you know, to be said about you someday, long after you're gone, long after we're all gone, to have your ancestors remember you as that, they were a person who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know I hope that my ancestors will say that about me someday. Um, but what's surprising about this fairly basic passage is that at first there seems to be almost a disagreement 
or a, a conflict in the scripture. Because if you noticed in verse one, it says that Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. But then down in verse three, it says that his father was David. So which one is it? Those are two different people, two different names. Well, it sounds like the author made a mistake or there was an error in the scripture, but that's not true at all. This was actually very intentional, um, but can be kind of confusing. His, his biological father was a man named Ahaz, but Hezekiah was nothing like his dad. His dad, as we'll look here in a second, was one of the most ungodly leaders there was. And Hezekiah is completely the opposite. Hezekiah is much more like his great, 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 I don't know how many greats, father, David. And oftentimes in scripture, they'll use the word father. It can also be translated ancestor. So here, what, what the author's doing is he's pointing out that um, Hezekiah is not so much like his actual father, biological father, but more like his ancestor, David, who is faithful to the Lord. And um. And, uh, and I think that that's really critical in, in understanding that because if we look in, in, uh, in 2 Kings 16, we're not gonna, I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about Ahaz. Like I said, he was one of the most ungodly leaders of all time. In 2 Kings 16, he, we learn that Ahaz um, had his sons pass through fire, which was a pagan worship practice. And he took items literally out of the Lord's temple and he gave them to Isaiah, or I'm sorry, and he gave them to the king of Assyria who became his buddy. And that was a big no-no to take things out of the temple that God had called to be there. And on a trip to Damascus to visit his friend, the king of Assyria, he actually saw this bronze altar in this um, temple to an idol and he fell in love with it. He decided to make his own altar just like it and switch it out with the altar that was in God's temple. And in the Old Testament, there are very strict guidelines exactly what the temple should look like and be like and how it should be made. And Ahaz just didn't care about any of that. He just totally was unfaithful to God. And I have no doubt that as a boy, Hezekiah, like most children, get dragged along to whatever their parents are doing. I have no doubt that Hezekiah had to be a part of some of this stuff. Was, was, was forced to participate in some of this stuff. And yet when he becomes king, he, what does he do first? He does the exact opposite of what his dad did. He does the exact opposite. And here's the first point I want to make in your notes. That great leaders are not enslaved to their past. Great leaders are not enslaved to their past. We do not have to follow in the footsteps and repeat the sinful paths of our ancestors of our parents, of our siblings. Hezekiah's first act as king was to get rid of these places of idol worship and to follow the Lord. He did not follow in his father's foolish footsteps. He did not repeat what his dad had done. He knew his nation's only future forward was to rejoin themselves with the living God. And Michael mentioned last week that we don't get to choose our family, which is true. We don't get to choose our parents and the family that we're born into. But I believe too often that as people, we feel disqualified to be used by God because of our family's past. The things that my parents did, the things that my parents taught me, the things that my parents you know, made me participate in, God can't use me like he uses other people. We believe a lie that God cannot use us to lead people and to do things for the kingdom of God. But, but this is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that God says, well, I want to give you a new family. Not just any family, not just a, a slightly better family. I want to give you, I want you to be part of my family. I want you to be a part of my family. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just have to accept it. Come be a part of my family. And God becomes our father and Jesus becomes our brother. I don't know, the Holy Spirit becomes our wise mother. I don't know, maybe that analogy doesn't work quite well. I just made that up. But um, we can take that out. Um, but, uh, but, but we get to be adopted into the family of God. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 14 and 15. It says this. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves 
so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We are adopted into God's family. When we enter into a relationship with God, we don't just get a new acquaintance, a new buddy. We get a new family. And we are not required to live as people to repeat the sinful past of our family line. We can draw a line and say no more. It also means that God does not disqualify us from our own personal past, our own mistakes. In fact, I believe God loves to use mess-ups. God loves to use mess-ups. How do you think they let me come up here? Right? I mean... He loves to use mess-ups. If you look at scripture, God is using mess-ups all the time. People who have an icky past. People who have done things. You know, I believe that if you look actually through the stories of the gospel and through just history, that some of the most disqualified mess-ups have become some of the most influential leaders in the kingdom of God. There was one of these uh, mess-ups was born in the 1400s, so a few years ago. Uh, as a boy, he was born, he could have cared less about education, pretty much was uneducated. Um, he was kind of a misfit, troublemaker. Uh, he decided he was going to make his mark in the world by joining the military and rising through the ranks. But due to an injury, he had, and not being very good at it, to be honest, he failed at that. He was a gambler. He had inappropriate relationships with women. He was arrested on more than one occasion. And well on into his past middle age, his entire, you know, first, more than first half of his life, it was a mess up. Well passed on into middle age, he has an encounter with God that changes his life. And he ends up going back to school and becoming a priest. That man's name was St. Ignatius Loyola. He started what's known as the Jesuits. And they, um, to this day, I believe, they've started over 2,000 higher educational institutes in over 100 countries. They've been some of the most missionary people in the history of the church. They've been missionaries to every continent except for Antarctica. Last night I said Africa by accident. That was a big mistake. I guess they didn't feel like going to evangelizing to some penguins or something. But um, they sent, they've sent missionaries all over the world. And, they, and, and their, their group has uh, lasted for over 450 years now and is still going. He's a, he was a mess up, one of the biggest mess ups there was. And God used him. It doesn't matter if you are 18 or 81. Your past will not disqualify you from being used by God for his awesome purposes and plans. Your past before God cannot even come close in comparison to your future with God. I'll say that again. Your past before God cannot come close in comparison to your future with God. God desires to use each and every one of us to lead in different ways, using our giftings and unique callings in this life. And we see that right off the bat with Hezekiah. The second point in your notes is great leaders... Great leaders prioritize the important, not the urgent. They prioritize the important, not the urgent. Hezekiah becomes king of Judah at a very challenging time of history. The Assyrians are by far the world power, and they're basically next door. And they're pressing in on the northern kingdom of Israel. And in the very first few years of Hezekiah's reign, the Assyrians actually take over Israel. They completely, you know, um, surround it and take over it. And, and it looks like Hezekiah is the next target in Judah. Hezekiah could have been beefing up his military. He could have been negotiating treaties with different nations. He could have been preparing for war. But do you know what Hezekiah does first? He doesn't do any of that. He cleans up the temple and restores proper worship with God. That's his first thing that he does. Let's look at, let's flip over in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 29. Let's see how he does this. 2 Chronicles 29. Second Chronicles 29, starting off in verse 3. It says, in the first month of the first year of his, of his reign, 
First month, first year, first thing he does. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in priests and Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side and said, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of our Lord and they forsook him. They took their they turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. He goes on to talk more and more about all the atrocities that his, his father and their ancestors had done. And he reinstates the celebration of Passover. And in 2 Chronicles 30, verses 26, he says this, there was great rejoicing in Jerusalem for nothing like this had been known since the days of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. Hezekiah prioritizes the important over the urgent. Instead of preparing for battle, he prepares for worship, knowing and trusting that God will fight his battles for him. You know, Harry Truman described great leadership like this. He said, great leadership is the art of persuading people to do what they should have done in the first place. Isn't that so true? You know, it's so true. You know, the, the previous generations, they knew how to worship God. They knew what the law said. They knew how the temple was supposed to be run and they didn't do it. They knew what they should do, but they didn't do it. Hezekiah knew that their success or failure as a nation depended on reestablishing correct worship with God. Everything else would follow after that. The important over the urgent. And it's interesting, later on in the story, the Assyrians do surround Jerusalem. They completely besiege it. They prevent any supplies or food from coming in and out of the city, so much that people are starving. They're eating their own feces because there's absolutely nothing else to eat, as disgusting as that and horrible as that sounds. And it would seem to the human eye that Hezekiah had made a big mistake. You know, Hezekiah, you messed up. You should have been prepping for battle. You should have been, you know, preparing your army, making it stronger, building a bigger wall, doing different things to prepare yourself for this. You should have seen this coming. But look what happens in 2 Kings 19, verse 35. 2 Kings 19, verse 35. I know that's flipping back again. You guys are getting your workout today with your clicking in your fingers. It says this, 2 Kings 19.35, it says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. God did it. God did it. Hezekiah focused on the important and God took care of the urgent. So what is prioritizing the important over the urgent? What does that look like today? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like leaving that pile of dishes in the sink and going and playing with your children. That's what it looks like. It looks like um, choosing to not return that business call on the way home from work and instead spending that 20 minutes in prayer with God. You know, it, it looks like knocking off work early on Tuesday night to go check out that small group that your spouse has been wanting you to do for months, that you always seem to be too busy to take the time to do. It's prioritizing the urgent, I'm sorry, the important over the urgent. You know, we live in a culture that if, if you don't respond to a text or an email or a phone call in five minutes, the person thinks you're mad at them, right? They think you're mad at them or there's an emergency because why else wouldn't you, you know, comment back? Well, no, actually, actually, I, I was just spending time with my family. We were just playing a board game and what you sent me or what you texted me or called me about, it seemed like it could wait till tomorrow. You know, we, if we do not, if we do the urgent before the important, the urgent will consume the important. If we do the urgent before the important, the urgent consumes the important. The important gets left behind. We'll look back years or months or years from now with regrets and wish that I would have spent more quality time with my kids. I wish I would have spent more time with the Lord. I wish I would have spent more time with that friend. 
God desires us to prioritize the important and wants us to learn how to let him worry about the urgent. Third point, great leaders encourage contagious generosity. Contagious generosity. What do I mean by that? Well, Hezekiah was a man that encouraged others to be generous. In 2 Chronicles 31, See, I told you we're going back and forth. Second, you go back. Second Chronicles verse 31, or chapter 31, verses 4 through 10. This is what Hezekiah does. It says, He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, as soon as it went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month, and they finished in the seventh month. So they did it for four months straight. With Hezekiah... When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw these heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites about the heaps, and Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Hezekiah chose to use his influence as a leader to reinstitute tithing, which had not been happening for many, many years in Jerusalem. He challenged his people to give a portion of their wealth to the priests and the Levites so that they could focus on the duties of the temple. The result was that God moved on their hearts and he blessed them abundantly with overflowing piles left over. Hezekiah created an opportunity for the people that he had influence in to be generous, and it was contagious. Um, I grew up in a, as a kid in a small farming town, and I, I, my brother and I, we, we lived in a, kind of in the country, and we didn't have a lot of land. There were farms all around us, but we had a shed in the back that we raised chickens and turkeys. And we were in 4-H, and we would take them to the fair, at county fair every year, and sell them at auction make a few dollars, and it was, fun. it was a fun experience. And my very last year of doing it, I was 17, because they kick you out when you're 18. Uh, but I was 17, it was my very last year, and it was a couple weeks before the fair, and I was really excited to sell a turkey that I had raised and make a few bucks before I went off to college. And, um, but a few weeks before, a friend of mine, Jared, who was also in our 4-H club, was in a bad accident. He was riding his bike, and he lived in the country too, down this country road, and um, he was going to babysit some neighbor kids, and neighbors in the country can be a mile away. So he's, he's riding his bike, and there's no sidewalks, and, he's, and he doesn't hear the car coming up behind him. And at the worst possible time, without looking, he decides to change and merge to the other side of the road. And there was absolutely nothing the car could do. And he survived, but the damage that was done to his brain uh, from, the, from the impact basically caused him the ability to walk, to talk, and he became like an infant instantly. And after a, a week or so in the hospital, uh, his family still, you know, couldn't, did, they weren't in, in set up in their home to, to care for him. And so he was kind of in and out of rehab centers for a while. And I remember the, the day of the auction came. And I, I believe it was God who told me to, that I wanted you to, to give some of what you make to this family. And on a good, for a good turkey back then, I don't know what they sell for now, but this may seem really high to you guys, but for a good turkey, I, I was hoping maybe I'd get $200. You know, that's a lot for a turkey. But the people who would buy these things at auction, they were businesses just supporting the, these kids. You know, it was more they were buying, you know, 
by you per se. They were, they were supporting you in, in the agricultural community. Um, they weren't really so much buying the turkey, but, but I had hoped I'd get, get $200. And I thought, thought oh, if I gave 10%, Lord, that, that's 20 bucks. That's not really going to do much. So I, God, I, I believe God told me, he said, well, why don't you give it all? Why don't you give it all? I said, okay. So I talked to my parents about it, and they said, go for it. And so the night of the auction, uh, I you know, chased my stupid turkey into the arena, you know, and kind of, you know, just chased it around the But I, I hand the auctioneer this note that I'm going to donate every, every dollar to this family. And being a small town, everybody, everybody knew what was going on with their family. Everybody knew what had happened to Jared and and so he, he, he announces it to everybody, to all these business people out in the, in the audience. And, and I was just blown away. I was blown away at what God did. And you know, that auctioneer in classic auctioneer fashion, you know, can I get 100, 100, 100? I can't do it. Well, 100, 100, 100, 200, 200, 200, 200, you know. They just rattle on. I don't know how they do that, but they rattle on and on. And the price just kept going up and up and up. And he said, eventually he said, sold $1,000. A turkey sold for $1,000. And it gets better. It gets better. As I'm, you know, again, chasing my silly turkey out of the arena to try to let the next kid come in, uh, which I felt bad for him. How do you follow that, right? That's, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Um, but as I'm getting, the, the, somebody who was a volunteer in helping with the auction runs up this stage and kind of tells me to wait and he's whispering into the auctioneer's ear and the auctioneer says hold up son uh see that we got a problem here you know only one person can buy your turkey and there's a lot of people out there that want to help this family so we're gonna we're gonna stop the auction for a second and any any businesses out there who want to add on an extra hundred dollars to this, just raise your number up right now. And just about every number went up in that arena. And they stopped it for about 10 minutes to make sure they got everybody's numbers down. And in the end, it was just under $7,000 that this turkey sold for. <laughs> Praise God. It was, it was this beautiful thing to watch. Watch God move on this community. And I feel honored to have been a part of it. I thought I was giving $200 away. If I would have known I was giving seven grand away, I might have, whoa, hold on, God. <laughs> sure about this? I felt like I was giving $200 away. And God moved on these people with, and, and created this contagious generosity. And it was beautiful. Hmm. And... I felt like the little boy who, when Jesus is preaching to a large crowd of 5,000 people and they're hungry and the disciples are going around looking for food and this little boy comes up and says, you can have my couple rolls and a few sardines. And Jesus says, I can work with that. I can work with that. And he does a miracle. I felt like that little boy and Hezekiah used his influence to create the situation to allow all the people to be generous by reinstating this tithe. How, does, how can we use our influence as everyday leaders? How can we use our influence to create opportunities for people to be generous? Those of you with kids, let me ask this. Do you talk with your kids? Do you pray with them about how to give your money away? Are they involved in that process? Do you encourage your children to give away a portion of their own money? That has been a beautiful thing for me as a dad, to watch my kids who get um, money for doing chores, a couple bucks a week, to watch them give away a part of it to something they care about, something they believe God is behind, to coach them in that and teach them in that and encourage that. You know, have you ever considered finding a common God cause as a small group and coming together as a small group and, and being generous together towards something? If you own a business, 
Have you ever thought about your business tithing? Have you ever considered that? Pray about that. Pray about that. See how God would bless your business. He may not bless it financially. He may bless it in other ways, but I know he would bless it. Could you start a fundraising campaign with your coworkers and start something going in the office where you are kind of the mouthpiece to, to raise up money for some God cause? In my experience, most people... Even people who are not Christians will be generous for a good cause when someone they know and someone they trust simply asks. Simply asks. And then watch God move on people's hearts. Watch God create contagious generosity. Watch God's love pour out of people's wallets. And the final point that I want to make is that great leaders remain faithful to the end. The fourth point in your notes, great leaders remain faithful to the end. All great leaders are faithful to something. It's what makes them great. They're faithful to a cause, a set of ideals. It's what drives them to keep going and to stay the course. But the greatest of all leaders, they aren't just faithful to anything. They're faithful to the living God. The greatest of all leaders are faithful to the living God. You know, there's this story in 2 Kings 20. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it here just for time's sake. But there's this story in 2 Kings 20 of Hezekiah where he, we find out that he has been struck with a terminal skin disease that is going to take his life, probably or possibly leprosy. And the prophet Isaiah comes to the palace to tell him that he's going to die soon. And Hezekiah weeps and appeals to God. He cries out to God in prayer. And he says, remember, God, remember how I've served you and been faithful to you all my years. Remember how I've been faithful. And Isaiah, and as Isaiah is in the process of actually leaving the palace, he's on his way out. He's coming to the gates. God speaks to him and tells him to go back. Go back. And I want you to tell Hezekiah, and announced to him that because of his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, that on the three, three days from now, I will give him a sign that I will not only heal him, but I will add 15 more years to his life. Because of his faithfulness, on the third day, I will give you a sign. And I do not think it's coincidence. I do not think it's coincidence that I, Isaiah, in one sentence, announces and declares his death. And then in another, and then the next sentence he tells him is that on the third day, you're gonna know that you're gonna have life again. That screams a foreshadowing of Jesus to me. Of Jesus who would die and then on the third day come back to life. I think that's so cool. I think that's so cool. Um, if you were here last week when Michael preached on King Uzziah, you might remember that King Uzziah was inflicted with a skin disease. Much like Hezekiah, but there's some almost stark contrast to these two men and these two stories. In 2 Chronicles 26, 16, if you want to throw that up there, it says this. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led, led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. Uzziah was unfaithful when Hezekiah had been faithful. Verse 19, part B, when he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar at the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And in verse 21, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day that he died. Where Hezekiah is healed and given new life and freedom, Uzziah carries it for the rest of his life. Why? Because of his unfaithfulness. Uzziah's unfaithfulness versus Hezekiah's very much faithfulness. And what's interesting is physical healings are not very common in the Old Testament. If you read through, there are actually very few of them. So when Jesus comes on the scene and all of a sudden, with power and authority, people are getting healed everywhere. This is why everybody was blown away. They had never seen or heard of any of this amazing authority and power. They had never seen, seen the kingdom of God come so strongly or heard about it in their history. Here we see the effect that faithfulness to God can have in enacting his grace and love to move. 
we see the power that remaining faithful can have in our lives. Listen to what David says about the benefit of being faithful. The psalmist and King David, he said in Psalm 4, 3, he says this, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself and the Lord hears when I call him. God has set you apart. He has set you apart and he hears you. He sees your faithfulness. Those of you that are faithful to him, he sees it. And especially in challenging times, he hears you. And he may not always act like we hope he will. He may not always act and heal like he healed Hezekiah in that way. But he hears you and he's with you and he loves you. What is the goal of this life? What is the goal of this life? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He believed this was the goal. I know of nothing which I would choose to have as the subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death. Still to be a soul winner, still to be a true herald of the cross and to testify the name of Jesus to the very last hour. The goal is to be faithful to God till our last breath. That's it. That's it. Hezekiah was not a perfect man. He does make some mistakes. If you read the whole story, which I would encourage you guys to do this week. But he's remembered as a great leader because he was faithful to God and God blessed him for it. And he blessed all the people of Israel for it too. We too are called to the same faithfulness in our relationships, our workplace, our families, our communities. We are called to be a everyday leaders everyday leaders I believe a faithful group of people following Jesus can lead an entire community and transform it to be a reflective community of God I believe that's actually possible that God actually desires to do that and I believe he desires to do that here in Delaware County and to use us as a piece of that amen Amen. Why don't we stand up? Stand up. You know, if you're visiting today, we like to end our services by just taking some time to let God do what he's already doing. I believe that in worship, God was stirring up some of your hearts. I believe that there were some things that I shared today that God was putting and stirring up your heart. And we just want to take a time, some time to respond to that. We like, to time, we like to take some time at the end of every service to pray for people, invite people to come forward and just bless what God is doing. So a few things that I, I felt like from what we talked about today that, that I want to encourage people to come forward for. If you have felt disqualified by your past, either your family's past or your own personal past, I do, that is not what God has for you anymore. Today is the day that gets broken. Today is the day that that stronghold has no more power over your life. And we just want to pray that God, I would invite you to come forward with courage to have, God, to have somebody pray for you that God might move in your life, that you might feel worthy of being used by God. I, I honestly believe that when I talked about that idea of being adopted into God's family, that there are people here today that you, you just don't, you don't, that's the first time that you've ever heard that. Or that's the first time when I, when I said that you, that you just realized, I want that. I want to be a part of God's family. I want to feel that love. I want to be a part of that. I want to encourage you to come forward and get prayer for that. Um, if you want to be a person, and you just want to be more open to being generous. You know, as I was sharing that story and as I was talking about some examples of what it could look, you just want to be available to God. God, I just want to be generous. I, I don't know what that looks like but I want to be more generous, Lord. I want to encourage you to come forward that God would bless you, put you in situations where, you could where he could use you to create some contagious generosity. Uh, if you want to just get prayed for and blessed to remain faithful to the end, God, I, just, I want that. I want to get to the end of my life and I don't just want to hear, hey, good job, you, you got into heaven because of Jesus' sacrifice. I, want, I don't just want to hear that. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to say those words to my face, God. And I want you to bless, help me do that. Help me to remain faithful. If you simply want to say to God, I, God, I want to be a great everyday leader. I've never thought of myself as a leader. In fact, maybe you've been told you're not a leader. 
But I, I want to do that. I want to do that well. I want to encourage you to come forward. And, and finally, I, we always pray for people who are sick. If you're sick and you need God to touch you today, I want to invite you to come forward to get prayer for that. Specifically, I felt like, uh, last night I felt like lower back. And then today I felt like um, vertebrae in your upper, in your neck. Is there anybody here who has chronic lower back pain or, or vertebrae pain? Raise your hand if that's you. That's you. I would encourage you if, you, if your hand's up, come up and get prayer for that. And everybody who comes up, let's make sure somebody prays for them and we're gonna worship, worship one more song. Ben's gonna lead us in one more song. And I would just invite you to start to make your way forward. All who are thirsty All who are we Come to the fountain Dip your heart in the stream of life Let the pain and the sorrow Of his mercy.
your seat still, would you, if you feel comfortable, would you do something, would you do something a little differently? Would you extend your hand towards these people who are up here up front? And with me, would you just pray in your heart, Lord, bless what you're doing up here. Bless what you're doing. We pray for more of your presence, more of your healing, more of truth to reign in these people's lives. You know, bondages to be broken. Freedom to be won. There's mm. more, Lord. More, Lord. You can, you can put your hands down. Lord, I pray, Lord, let me just pray for us as, as we end. If you're still getting prayer up front, feel free to take as long as God is doing something. Just stay up here. Continue to receive what God has for you. But I just want to pray for the rest of us. Lord, would you help us to be everyday leaders for the kingdom of God. Hmm. Would you meet us in our frustrations, in our confusion? God, would you, would you help us to be generous and to, to guide other people to be generous, to be an example would you help us, Lord? Would you help us, Lord, to remain faithful to the end? To remain faithful to the end. Lord, I pray, we pray again for this weekend, you know, that we would, would, we, we would remember those who have served us, sacrificed for us. May, may we be people of the living God who worship you, who, who put the important above the urgent. Teach us how to do that in this crazy culture who tells us to do the exact opposite. <coughs> we thank you for loving us, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.